We are entering into the third week of a series on forgiveness. I'm carrying my forgiveness rock around with me uh, throughout this month. We started the series out looking at unforgiveness and Jonah, who just could never get around to forgiving the people of Nineveh, uh, only wanted to see their judgment. And last week we looked at what it is to try to like put your eyes on the boundary, like how much forgiveness is enough. Do I only have to forgive this amount of times? Um, and, and so the last two weeks have been fairly tough texts where unforgiveness has kind of reigned in the, in the story. Uh, but today we are moving into the last two weeks where we'll look at forgiveness um, from a more positive lens. And um, the question that I want to ask today is, is peace possible after pain? Uh, one of my favorite kind of dialect understandings of forgiveness uh, comes from South Africa, where in one of the languages, uh, instead of saying, would you forgive me, they ask, uh, can I have peace? And so forgiveness is really wound up with peace. And so if we want to get towards that peace and forgiveness, we have to first acknowledge the pain in the story. So if you want the kind of refresher course, or if you've never heard the story of Joseph, Joseph came from a complicated family. It's a a mixed family. Uh, He shares a dad with 11 other brothers, um, but they have different mothers, and there's four different mothers in this large family unit. We won't get into the peculiarities of family life in too much detail, but there's some rivalry going on, and they're vying for who gets dad's attention who's the greatest of us, who gets the best, stuff, the best stuff. And so Joseph keeps getting all of his dad's favor. His dad gives him the cool robe. Everybody else maybe has the hand-me-downs. He gets the new thing. And so one day, his brothers have had enough because he kind of tells them of all these stories, of these dreams he has in which he gets to be the one that's elevated and all of them kind of bow down to him. And so they can't stand this brother. And so they turn to a very dark place and they decide to throw their brother in a pit to leave him for dead. Now, once they throw him in the pit, they realize, well, maybe that might be a little too extreme and maybe we can make a profit off of this. And so instead they sell him into slavery. And so that's about as much family trauma as I can imagine. Um, He's sent into slavery. And that might sound kind of outlandish and not relatable to our own lives. But sadly, it's actually more closer to home. I don't know if you know, but Flint, Michigan ranks 10th in all of the United States for instances of human trafficking. And Michigan's actually second most for the amount of um, rescues from human trafficking in the country. And it's great to have rescues, but that means that there was someone who needed to be rescued. There were 309 cases of human trafficking uh, reported in Michigan last year. The most common age of victims is 13 to 16 years old. And 40% of these cases, people were traded by their own family members. So even if we're not seeing this kind of pain, this kind of pain still is in our neighborhoods. It's still in our home. But maybe our pains aren't that extraordinary. Maybe they're more ordinary, and it's it's 
being neglected, it's being criticized, it's not being uh, loved in the way that, that you would have hoped. But we've all experienced pain. And so we're all in this boat together of what do we do after we experience pain. And so I think there's some really valuable insights in the story to address this. Now, the story gets to the question of forgiveness, maybe not in the most healthy manner. Uh, The occasion for fear and concern about forgiveness is that the peacemaker of the family has passed away. So Joseph's dad, Jacob, who would kind of hold the family unit together, has passed away. And they go and they grieve for him and they have a funeral and they get back and then they start wondering, oh no, dad's not around anymore. Maybe all of these years when it looked like Joseph had forgiven us and he'd kind of risen to second in Egypt and he provided for us, well, maybe that was all a front. Maybe Joseph has held a grudge this whole time and maybe his dad was like the dam that held the floodwaters in and now it's gone and their fear of that wrath coming on them. And so his brothers say in Genesis 50:15, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? And so they're not going to just sit around and keep wondering about it. They're proactive. Remember that proactiveness is also what got them into trouble to begin with. Uh, let's deal with our brother. But they decide, let's, let's go and do something about this to make sure Joseph isn't still angry with us. And so, they, they embark on a pursuit of mutual forgiveness. And when I'm talking about that, I'm, I'm talking about the fact that this week, we're looking at an instance in which the people who harmed someone are taking part in that process of forgiveness. And they want reconciliation. They want forgiveness to be offered. And next week, we're going to look at the, hard, the, the even harder situation of what happens when you don't get that when you don't know who harmed you or you don't know um, who hurt you, you, the other person doesn't even agree that they've harmed you. Um, That'll be next week. But the brothers do decide to go on this path towards forgiveness with Joseph, though maybe their intentions are not pure. So here's what it says in 50 verse 16 and 17. So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Isn't it convenient? Their dad left the perfect message just for them. It's interesting that the rabbinical tradition um, has not really accepted the idea that the brothers are telling a true story here. Uh, In the Talmud, it says, quote, that the brothers had altered the facts for the sake of peace. And so, in truth, they didn't think the dad had ever left such a message. And particularly, another rabbi, Nachmanides, deduces from this episode, well, if the dad had actually wanted this, he would have told Joseph himself. Or, if he had told those brothers, they would have done everything they could to have gotten Joseph in front of them, himself there. And so, uh, presumably, this might not be a truthful story that they're relaying to Joseph. And uh, maybe, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe someone has warded over you with, well, someone who just passed, they told me uh, before they left, before they died, uh, this story. And you kind of have to trust them or you don't trust them. 
And you can't know, Joseph can't know whether his dad said this or not. It seems like maybe what had happened in their family life, because Genesis never shows them telling the dad what had happened originally. Uh, it never has in, in the deathbed scene in the previous chapters, Joseph, uh, Jacob ever mentioning anything about it. Maybe the family thought it was too hard and they couldn't ever admit to it to the dad. And so it seems like they probably kept him out of the loop. But whatever the brother's motives in telling the story about the dad's desire for forgiveness, they do end up acknowledging the pain that they caused, which is crucial for forgiveness. Now, they admit that they had done harmful things to him. And in the midst of them admitting that, Joseph begins to weep. And Joseph has actually been really emotional throughout this story. This is actually a really great kind of human picture. Joseph has weeped um, earlier in the story when his, his brothers originally had acknowledged their misdeeds. He wept when he saw that his brother Benjamin was unharmed. He wept when he saw his, his father. He wept when his father had passed. And now when they admit, we had done this harm to you, please forgive us, he weeps again. And there's such an importance to speaking the truth about what has happened and acknowledging that pain. Because when we acknowledge our pain in front of each other, we're going about seeing the humanity in one another. And so maybe those brothers don't mean well when they say, here's the manner in which we want to ask for forgiveness. But something about that story brings Joseph to tears. And something about Joseph being in tears brings them to tears as well. And so, here are both the victim and the abusers weeping together. Perhaps the most famous truth-telling event, maybe even in human history, is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. I'm not sure how many folks are familiar with, with that commission. Um, it, it was started after the end of apartheid and the racial segregation that had been instituted by the government there. And so in 94, when Mandela was elected president, uh, they decided that they had to figure out a path forward because the nation was in all sorts of pain. And so they had to decide, did they want to do something like after the Holocaust of tracking down uh, former Nazis and, and putting them on trial and convicting as many people as possible? Did they want to try a truth a commission like had been done in Chile, where people were encouraged to come and tell the truth. But what happened was the, abuse, the, the victims showed up, but none of the abusers showed up. And so South Africa tried something different. They offered forgiveness via pardon to any of the abusers who had committed uh, violence in the name of the political system. So they were pushing forgiveness and that actually made those uh, abusers to actually show up because they were something to be offered to them. Um, again, like Joseph's brothers, maybe not the best kind of uh, motivations, but there's something powerful when you get people in the room together. And so those people who had abused and had committed violence and murder and all sorts of terrible, terrible things were sitting in the same space with the people they had harmed, the families of victims, and both sides had to tell the stories of what happened. And something about that truth and acknowledging that pain was transformative to that country. They decided that by publicly airing on television every night, every day, 
these hearings, that individual stories of violence and forgiveness would be more impactful than summary statements, a big report saying, here's how many people committed crimes, here's uh, more data for you to know. Instead, they thought what would be healing is to hear stories. And so one of those stories was a nobody in that society, just a regular level police officer who happened to be put on um, a task of determining uh, who were political activists against apartheid. And so he was given uh, the job of torturing victims to figure out whether people were involved with political activism against the state. So his name, Jeffrey Benzine, uh, he had to go in and publicly testify about all of the torture he had done on people. And one of the victims even asked him to demonstrate and display what that torture looked like. So there's pictures and videos of him having to show people in the plain light of day what that looked like. And in the midst of that, one of his victims, who had actually later gone on to be a part of parliament, asked him, what kind of man uses a torture method like this one with a wet bag to people, to other human beings repeatedly, and listening to those moans and cries and groans, and taking each of those people very near to their deaths. What kind of man are you? What kind of man is that? To which Benzine replied, Mr. Yungini, not only you have asked me that question, I, I, Jeff Benzine have asked myself that question to such an extent that I voluntarily, and it is not easy for me to say this in the full court with a lot of people who don't know me, approached psychiatrists to have myself evaluated to find out what type of person I am. And something about having to share those experiences together leads both of these people to be in tears. And they're both trying to understand the humanity that could lead to such pain and violence. And there's not easy answers to that. But they're in that process together, acknowledging pain. And so there's something about sharing the misdeeds. There's something about when the brothers go and they say, we've acted wickedly against you. That no matter what the motivations for going there and talking about it, still can move you to tears and can still move you towards a place of peace. So what do we do with that pain? All that pain that we carry with us. If we wait, in that story, Joseph, if we wait until the pain is gone to forgive, we would never forgive. Joseph is forgiving and has been forgiving for a long time, and that pain is still there. So we, we can't wait till that pain is gone to forgive. So we have an option. We can either transfer that pain to somebody else and retaliate and be violent and lash out with revenge, or we can transform the pain. Forgiveness is choosing for yourself to follow the path of forgiveness and peace instead of the path of revenge. Sometimes we're afraid that to give up on that past pain to not act out in violence, to not lash out, is um, to make that pain insignificant. But that's, that's really unfair to what's going on in that healing process. 
I like to, there, there's two, two quotes that I want to share with you about this. Lewis Smedes wrote that forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. Forgiveness does not mean that we forget or we ignore or that we act like something didn't happen. Frederick Luskin goes on to say that forgiveness is actually remembering differently. While lack of forgiveness is remembering something with an edge or a grudge or a sense of injustice, forgiveness means remembering it more benignly, with compassion. It involves some purpose of moving ahead rather than just being stuck in the past. So if forgiveness is not about forgetting the past but transforming it, taking that pain and doing something life-giving in the midst of it with that. Here's what Joseph does to transform his pain. Joseph says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. And in this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So Joseph rejects that path of revenge and violence and retaliation and takes the path of peace. Now, I think there's an unhealthy way we could read how he interprets this and makes life out of this story. We could say that God all along wanted his brothers to harm him, that God uh, intends something for good by intentionally being that cause of pain. And I think that's a very unhealthy way of approaching this. And instead, I'd suggest God's more like the divine painter. And we make a mistake, and somehow God uh, still makes the picture beautiful, even though something ugly has happened. And so I think, uh, I'm not sure how many people remember the PBS painter Bob Ross, with his fun afro and his uh, soft-spoken form of, of speaking. If you ever remember, when he was painting, He'd make a mistake, and instead of calling it a mistake, he'd say, oh, it's just a happy little accident, and he'd paint it into something new. And so that's what God does for each of us. He takes those, those moments of pain and brokenness, uh, the violence, the sadness, and doesn't ignore them, but makes something beautiful out of it. And so we're in that process together with God. And so um, while Joseph rejects judgment, and says, who am I? Am I God? He's also incredibly powerful about who God is, that God isn't the one who just brings judgment and violence, but God is the one who brings creative, uh, life-giving restoration and transformation. And so what they had intended for harm, God intended for good. So no matter what ugly thing has happened to you, our hope is that transformation will happen, and that whatever that broken thing is will be made beautiful through the story of redemption and restoration that spans all time. And so in the end, in this story, Joseph had every right to be angry, had every right to be violent. His brothers acknowledged he had that right. They expected it, uh, and they tried to, tried to prevent that. But instead of choosing that path, he chose peace and forgiveness. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was actually the one in charge of that Truth and Reconciliation Commission, was asked what he hoped that commission was 
accomplishing in the world. And he said, I would hope the world would realize that there is no situation that is not transfigurable, that there is no situation of which we can say is absolutely, totally devoid of hope, because that is what people thought about South Africa. And the star people of the report of that commission are those who people wrongly called ordinary people. Because to Tutu, he says, there are no ordinary people in my theology, but it is the small people who are the stars, and he wants the world to know that those so-called ordinary people are incredible. Jesus, on his Sermon on the Mount, said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. However ordinary or extraordinary your pain feels today, I hope and I pray that you have the power to make peace and to forgive. And that forgiveness doesn't depend on the culprit's motives or their pure requests for forgiveness. It doesn't depend on the timing of that decision, if it's in their best interest or, or if it's more healthy. And it doesn't depend on the type or degree of pain that you've experienced. Instead, it's up to us to choose forgiveness and peace. And so I hope as we uh, finish out our series next week, you know, if you haven't picked up a forgiveness rock, we still have some in the baskets in the back. And if you take one of those cards with the instructions, if you haven't already taken it, one of the things that I ask is that you would tell that story to somebody, whether it's in a journal and prayer to somebody that you care about, because there's something really important in that process of forgiveness about acknowledging the pain and sharing that story. And so I'd encourage you to continue in that process. If you are able to forgive whatever you've identified that forgiveness rock with uh, this month, I do want to remind us that we have this basket up front that you can drop off your forgiveness rock in um, next week or today if, if that's uh, where you're at today. Uh, but I just really hope, um, because forgiveness is so tough, but so healing and so important, that we would not just make this a one-time thing like Joseph, uh, but we have to remind ourselves to continue to choose that path of forgiveness, to continue to choose peace, uh, even when that pain is harmful to us. So with that, would you pray with me? God, we come before you not always being able to imagine a way forward, not always being able to imagine how peace and reconciliation in a new day will look, but we come with that hope that whatever pains us today, whatever has harmed us, that you would help us open up a second door, a new way that isn't the easy way of, of retaliating and transferring that pain onto more people. Lord, teach us how to forgive and help us to never give that up. It's in your name I pray. Amen.